Turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 2. You can watch on the screens and follow along. Colossians chapter 2, a letter written to a church. Maybe they were shaky in their faith, needed to be encouraged about what had taken place when they found salvation in Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul writes to them, Colossians 2 and 12, of their experience with God, buried with Him in baptism wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, some operation that God performs on us, who hath raised Him from the dead. His resurrection is the key to our resurrection. I want to speak today on the subject, risen with Christ. You may be seated. It's no mystery that today is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it really is a big deal. But not only are we celebrating what happened to Jesus when He was resurrected on the third day, but today every believer who has been born again of water and spirit, we are celebrating the day Jesus Christ delivered us from death and our old life. We're celebrating our own resurrection today. It's a very personal thing to us to know the transformation that Jesus Christ brought in our lives. His resurrection was the key to ours. And we understand that this is not a fairy tale or folklore. It's not some old version of an urban legend that some founder of a religious movement was crucified by the Roman government at the urging of Jewish people, that he was buried in a tomb, and that there was this rumor, this story, that somehow he had miraculously been raised from the dead on the third day. This is not some unfounded rumor about the death of the faith of a father of our religion. Today, we are worshiping a resurrected Jesus Christ. Amen? We know that He is alive. And I don't mean just alive that He rose again and died, but He poured out His Spirit. And while we've been worshiping Him here today, the same Jesus that rose from the dead is in this place right now. When we worshiped Him, we experienced the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've never been filled with the power of His Spirit, you might have felt what you described as as like a wave of emotion. Like these people are emotion. Emotional people is kind of getting on me. Well, that was not just emotion. That was Jesus Christ reaching for you with the power of His Spirit, inviting you to do what He said in His Word, to to taste and see that the Lord is good, to experience this for your very own self, the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now because this is a special day, and we don't make assumptions of where you are in your own experience with God or knowledge of this, let me rehearse this. God came in flesh, born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He lived the perfect life. He proved that He was God in flesh by His words and by His works. 
He showed Himself by miracles and signs and wonders, opening blinded eyes, raising people from the dead, delivering people from the power of demonic oppression. There is no question that Jesus was the promised Messiah that had been told the Jews throughout the Old Testament. He came in flesh to deliver them from His sins. They rejected Him at the urging of the Jewish elders who saw their positions at risk. They encouraged and convinced the Roman governor Pilate to put Jesus to death. So on the Jewish day of the Passover, that day of preparation leading up to that high holy Passover day that would begin at sundown. They took our Lord Jesus Christ starting about 9 o'clock in the morning and they nailed Him to a cross. And there they watched Him hang there and die. About noon, darkness covered the earth. And about 3 p.m., He breathed His last breath He shouted with a loud voice, It is finished. He yielded up His Spirit and He died. An earthquake came. The Roman soldiers who crucified Him saw Him and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Can you imagine being there that day? The thieves on either side of Him still fighting for their lives. Jesus had said, No man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. But these thieves, they they were not dying for the same reason. And they're fighting to live. Crucifixion would, would almost never kill somebody in just six hours. So the Roman soldiers came with heavy mallets and, and they broke the legs of those thieves and they sagged on the cross and soon died. They came to where Jesus was and they noticed that he, he was already dead, these professionals at execution. But just for insurance, a Roman soldier took a spear and he plunged it into the side of Jesus, into his heart cavity, and, and blood and water came out. But there was no physical reaction there. No blood, no life, no pulse, no heartbeat, no respiration, no, no brain activity. They would make sure that he was dead and, and he would be dead before sundown. They would not defile this sacred, holy day. A rich disciple of Jesus named Joseph of Arimathea. He had just dug a new tomb in the side of a mountain not far from the side of the crucifixion. He begged for the body of Jesus, took security of it, embalmed it, wrapped it in spices. Not embalmed it, wrapped it in spices as they would do. And He took Jesus and before sundown that day, He was buried. It was their custom to roll a, a stone in front of the door so that no one could access the grave. And that was done. Friday evening, we call it Good Friday for some reason. On Saturday morning, the chief priest got nervous, paranoid. They said, you know, his disciples said that he said in three days he would raise from the dead and and if the disciples sneak in, roll back the stone and steal his body, then they'll make us believe that he was resurrected and, and that rumor will be worse than the first rumor that he was the Messiah. So let's go seal it. So with some type of cement, they sealed the stone. They set a Roman guard 24 hours a day. They would be there to make sure no disciple of Jesus would come and roll back the stone and take His body out and 
make everyone believe that he had resurrected from the dead. Early Sunday morning, there was a great earthquake and the soldiers fell on the ground as dead men. Inside that tomb, something took place. That dead body. For those three parts of days that had not breathed, every brain cell would be dead. There was no hope of life. But the power of God that breathed breath into the life of Adam in the Garden of Eden and said, let there be life. That same breath came into the dead body of Jesus Christ. And for the first time in three days, he stirred and moved and thought and he was raised from the dead never to die again. Jesus said, I am he that was the dead, but I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of hell and death. That's why we are here today. That's why we're excited to know that Jesus, the Messiah of the Jews, died for the sins of the world. Risen to life again. An angel rolled back the stone, sat on top of it. He didn't roll back the stone so Jesus could get out. Because you don't have to read very far. That resurrected Jesus walked through walls to go visit where fearful disciples were huddled together. Jesus didn't need the stone to be rolled away so He could get out. It needed to be rolled away so His disciples could get in. And the angel could say, come see the place where the Lord lay. He is not here. He is risen as He said. Check it out for yourself. Yeah. I know it defies logic, but why would you think it's incredible that God Almighty, who spoke worlds into existence, could raise the dead? It was not unprecedented. What was different about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that He would never die again. If it was a ruse, if it was just a fake, or even if Jesus was somewhat insecure in His resurrection, maybe He would have just kind of vanished into thin air. He didn't do that. He stuck around to kind of rub it in a little bit and say, I'm alive. Forty days. He showed Himself to His disciples. I think it's pretty awesome that the first person He revealed Himself to after His resurrection was Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had cast seven devils. You don't think you're good enough to live for Jesus? You think you've got too many problems to live for Jesus? He picked a woman like that to show Himself to first. He showed Himself to several other women and to Cleophas and a disciple. He revealed Himself in His resurrected body to Simon Peter by Himself, the one who had denied Him while Jesus was during the trial. 
He revealed Himself to the disciples. Thomas had skipped church that day doubting Thomas who said, I will not believe unless I put my hand in the print of the nails and unless I thrust my hand into the side. So while the disciples were huddled together, Jesus just appeared before them and He looked at Thomas and said, Thomas, go ahead, put your hand in the print of the nails. Thrust your hand into my side. Don't be faithless but believing. Thomas just said, my Lord and my God. I don't want you to be a doubter. I want you to be a believer today. He revealed Himself to seven apostles and eleven apostles and to the apostles on the Mount of Olives. In fact, the Bible says that, that Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time if we were in a court of law. And I could parade 500 eyewitnesses in front of the judge and jury. And every one of them would tell you the same story. Oh, I knew Jesus before the crucifixion. I saw Jesus after the crucifixion. When He was ascending into heaven, the angel says, this same Jesus. He didn't change His identity. He just had power over death. 500 eyewitnesses. You say, well, that was a long time ago. But eyewitnesses, their story is powerful legal evidence that something happened. But then more than that, after Jesus ascended and the Spirit of God was poured out on the disciples, these same people that ran in the garden, these same people that huddled in fear, preached Jesus with boldness. They believed that Jesus was alive, so much so that they would be beaten and jailed and martyred for the name of Jesus Christ. You would never die for a lie, but they died for the resurrected Jesus Christ. I am alive forevermore. Amen. That's his story. And he was dead, and he was raised to life on the third day, and he's still alive, and he's here today on Easter Sunday to let you be risen with him. He didn't die for his sins, he was sinless. He died for your sins. He wasn't buried for his sake, he was buried for our sake so that we could be buried with Him by baptism in water and take His name on our lives. Buried with Him by baptism. He wasn't resurrected just for Himself or He would have immediately ascended into heaven. But He was raised from the dead to say, if it happened to me, it could happen to you. As I've been raised from my old life, you can be raised from yours. Why? Why would I need a resurrection? I'm alive, breathing. I'm a good person. I live and laugh and and love and I give and feel compassion and I've got a career and dreams and goals and I'm better than some Christians I know after all. I see some of those people who don't live up to that power they say they have. But as alive as you are physically, if you've never experienced the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life, you are spiritually dead. Now I know that may sound insulting to you, but it's just true that all of us have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible is very plain to say that we are dead in our sins and that sin separates us from God. But sin is not just something you do, it's who you are. It starts with that attitude that says, I will do what I want to do and no one will run my life for me. I'm autonomous. I, I can do whatever I want to do for myself. And that self-governing attitude leads to kind of a rebellion against God because I'll do what I want to do. I'm sure not going to do what God in His Bible says to do. And we try to be the rulers of our own lives and, and make a complete mess out of our lives. And that attitude of self-rule leads to that rebellion and then it leads to, to wrong deeds. And you say, I, I don't want to live like that. I, I try to do the right thing, but there's a power that is stronger than self-will. I keep finding myself lapsing back into, into old habits and repeating the same behaviors over again. I tell myself, I'm going to quit. I'm not addicted. I can stop anytime I want. But then... A while goes by, a week or a month or, or a season and, and there I am back again, back in that same old vicious cycle of defeat because the power of sin is always greater than the power of self-will. One of the best men that ever lived said, He shall deliver me from this body of death. Paul said, the things that I don't want to do, I do them. He said, I know what's right and, and in my mind, I want to do what's right, but I keep falling short and failing and I feel like I'm in a prison and nothing can get me out. And then there's the cost of sin. It affects your body, costs you your job in some cases. Somebody I know just got a DUI, may lose his job, terrible situation. What's the effects going to be? on his marriage. I know how many times that person has tried to kind of climb out of that in his own power, but you just can't do it on your own. Sin takes its toll on your health. Now I know, I know you're saying, sounds like a lot of fun to me right now. I'm having a great time. And the Bible even says that. It's the pleasure of sin for a season. You start off as kind of a, a guest. It's for free. It's for good. It's for fun. But then all of a sudden, you, you want to walk away, but you can't walk away from the pornography. You can't walk away from the addiction that has you bound. You, you want to walk away, but you can't walk away. You want to say, I don't want to lust, but you keep finding yourself lusting, and here you are in this endless cycle of sin. But that's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus was buried. That's why Jesus rose again. So that you can experience a power greater than willpower. This is not a reformation. This is a transformation. This is not some power on the outside trying to set you free. This starts on the inside. It changes who you are. It makes you a new creation in Christ Jesus. It gives you a power that you cannot generate in yourself. 
That's why Paul said, we are buried with Him in baptism. Colossians 2 and 12. We are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God who raised Him from the dead. That same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead. If it dwells in you, it quickens, it, it transforms your mortal body. It gives you power to live in a way that you cannot live on your own. It gives you power at the resurrection of the dead to be raised just like Jesus was raised from the dead. Now I want you to understand what the gospel really is. The gospel is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was died, He was buried, He rose on the third day. That's the story of the gospel. That is what happened to Jesus. But if the gospel is going to get in me, if it's going to change me, then I have to follow the same pattern that Jesus followed. So we die to ourself and our sins in repentance. We are buried with Jesus by baptism. Literally, a person takes you and says, I now baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And they put you under the water. You are buried with Him by baptism. And when you come up, you come up different than you went down. Something stays down when you come up. It is not the magic of the water. It is the power of the name of Jesus Christ. He died for your sins and was buried in a tomb. We are buried with Him by baptism. When you come up, you have the power, the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit to come into your life to change you and give you a power that you can never generate inside yourself. Yeah. That's how the Gospel is applied to your life. And when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, just like everybody in the Bible and everybody since, you may sound like it's a little outlandish. This is not a Pentecostal thing. It's a Bible thing. You'll find yourself speaking words that you never learned. Jesus Christ in you will be like a river of living water that is springing up into everlasting life. It will be joy unspeakable and full of glory. You'll begin to say words as the Spirit gives you the ability. You'll be changed. From the inside out. This is the first sermon that was preached in the Bible after Jesus ascended and poured out His Spirit. Then Peter said unto them, Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Some people ask, is baptism essential to salvation? It is just as essential as forgiveness is. For it is repentance 
and baptism that brings the washing away of your sins. These two things go together. Death and burial gets rid of your old life. And why would you not want to say goodbye to the habits that have got you bound? Why would you not want to say goodbye to the guilt that plagues you every day? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall, on the screens, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is how it comes into your life. Now Paul's writing to these insecure new believers. And he tells them in chapter 1, when you get this Spirit, you get strength that you never had before. You get an eternal inheritance with all the people of God that have ever lived. Isn't that cool that all the people that were patriarchs of faith and lived for God their entire life and here you come in late in life and God in His mercy forgives you and makes you a new creation and gives you a brand new life and you get the same inheritance of eternal life as everybody who ever believed on Jesus. You're made a citizen of the kingdom of God and you have the forgiveness of sins. And in the past, you were enemies and separated from God by evil thoughts and actions. But now he's, he's reconciled you. He's brought you back to Himself. And He's done that by the death of His body on the cross. And because of the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary, He makes you blameless as if you have never sinned in your entire life. Wow. Got a little granddaughter, seven months old. She's never sinned in her life. How would, it, how would it feel to you if all the weight of sin, if all the guilt that you've carried in your life, if all the regret for every bad decision you've ever made, what if that could just be rolled off of you and you would feel freedom in your life maybe for the very first time in a long line time for some of you that Jesus Christ made you just as if I'd never sinned. Now I know you're here on Easter Sunday. You're probably looking up here and say, yeah, right, you're probably one of those little goody-two-shoe guys that you got saved when you were young and you don't even know what you're talking about. And I would tell you, you're right. I'm one of those guys that got saved young, but, but I wouldn't say good forever. And I've been a pastor here over 21 years and I know too much about too many people in this room right now to say it's a bunch of goody two-shoes. I know what some of you used to be and what you are now and I thank God by the death, burial, and resurrection. Hey, risen with Christ. Changed by the power of His Spirit. I know the world's wicked and I know media is corrupt and I know temptation's hard to resist and all of us, everybody in this room knows what you're feeling and what you're saying. But I want you to understand again that this is not an outside work. It's not come to a class on behavioral modification so we can teach you how to be good like Jesus. Now there's a lot to learn about being like Jesus. 
but we know that everybody would be wasting their breath and wasting their time if it wasn't an inside job first. That Jesus comes in you. It is Christ in you that gives you the hope of glory. So I can stand here today with confidence and say it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or how long you've been bad, but today, before you walk out the door, you can be as righteous as Jesus was for His blood will cover your sins. Now, I know a lot. I know a lot about some of the people in this room right now and the before and the how and the after in their lives. But let me tell you the story of a guy named Larry. Larry's raised in a spirit-filled church. He comes to God at 11. He's saved at 11 years old. But through his teenage years, there's a lot of temptation. And he gives in. Walks away from God. All the way through his late high school years, he doesn't serve God at all plays sports, meets a girl at school, marries Jenny. Larry marries Jenny. And they start a life together away from God. Now Larry has a memory of what church should be, but Jenny doesn't. She's raised in a traditional church, but she's got a mother-in-law who knows how to pray. And Jenny's mother-in-law starts praying, and Jenny starts going to a church just like Larry was raised in. And she believes. And she begins to follow the teachings of the Bible. She's very shy about her experience. She was raised in one of those quiet, traditional churches. So she's at home, kneeling by her bed, when she is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to speak in tongues for the first time. No hype. Nobody praying with her. It happens at home. She's transformed by repentance and baptism and the Holy Spirit and she begins to serve God and she takes her little five-year-old daughter and her three-year-old son and they go to church faithfully but Larry does not. He's picked up some habits since he was a teenager and he can't really lay them down. He hasn't made up his mind. In fact, Larry's 34 years old at this time. He's been away from God 24 years. 24 years of smoking. I'm not sure he started smoking at 11, but 24 years he's been, well, he's walked away from God. 24 years he's, he's got alcohol in the house and in his blood system, bloodstream, and he's got some habits that aren't very easy to break, and he's got a lot of guilt too because he knows how his mama raised him. And he hasn't lived that way, and he shamed his mom and dad, and He's carrying a lot of grief and he's got a wife that's now serving God and not because of him leading his home. And He's got two little kids, a five-year-old girl and a, a three-year-old boy and he watches his wife and kids go out the door to Sunday school and church and he stays home in his world of guilt. Occasionally he would go with them through the years that Jenny was going. And there's mom is still praying and his wife, who's a new believer, is still praying. And for two years, she goes to church without Larry. Larry's back home, not going to church. But it was on an Easter Sunday morning, just like today, that Larry got up and he told Jenny. 
And he told Carol and he told Craig, I'm going to go to church with you today. He got dressed and he grabbed his little girl by the arm. They walked out by the hand. They walked out in their yard where he had a trash can out in the yard. He reached in his pocket and he pulled out a pack of cigarettes. He was addicted to nicotine. But he said, I guess I won't need these anymore. And he threw them in the trash. His little girl looked up at him and said tears were flowing down his face as he stood there and he walked away in repentance from 24 years of saying no to God. He walked into church on Sunday, Easter Sunday morning and they sang their songs and the preacher preached his sermon and at the end he gave an invitation for everybody to come and Larry walked down to the altar and he prayed and he cried and he asked God to forgive him of his sins and he was renewed in the power of the Holy Ghost. He stayed there and let God wash out 24 years of sin and guilt and regret. He was the last one to leave the altar that day changed by the power of God. It sounds like I know a lot about that story and the reason I do is because this is my wife's dad who came to the Lord when she was just a little girl at the age of 35 in 1966. What an amazing story of the grace of God and the power of the cross, the death and the burial. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Larry served God, worked in his church, tried to serve everywhere he can. It's kind of a sad thing, but he only lived for God and lived for 14 and a half years after he came back to God. At the age of 49, he went out of this life with a major heart event. We grieved at the loss of Pop Strom. What a wonderful story, though. That story happened a long time ago and I've referred to it now and then in our church family. But I've never wrote about it like I did in our newsletter and I've never preached it until today. And I thought just a couple days ago, maybe I won't tell that whole story on Easter Sunday morning. But last night as I was here with men praying, the Lord just kind of brought it back to me and said, don't skip that story. I brought that story to your mind for a reason. So I believe that somebody here today needs to know that there is a God. While you may have given up on Him and given up on yourself, God has never given up on you. He knows you're here right now. He knows you don't think you can do this. But He has the power to change your life today. Why, why don't you let Jesus set you free from sin? Would you bow your head today, please? Everyone in the room, would you bow your head? Lord, I come today in your name, Jesus. And I thank you, Lord. That you are not afraid of the ugliness of a sinful life. For the Bible gives us a template, Lord, of the kinds of people you've saved. From self-righteous religious people to women who live with multiple men in moral lives.
You've delivered the addicted and the possessed of devils. You've never shied away from a person who had very little to offer anyone. You love us and value us not for what we bring to you, but for what you bring to us. I pray today, Lord, because there's a mental battle going on right now in the minds of a lot of people in this room. But those of us, Lord, who understand times like this know that the battle that is raging right now is deeper than a logical battle or an emotional battle. There's a spiritual battle being raged right now. There's a thousand reasons to say, no, walk out the door. This is not for you. And there's just one reason to say yes. That is the blood of Jesus that can save us forever. I'm asking you, Lord, to heal broken hearts today. Pray, O oh Lord, that you would bring hope into despair. I'm asking you, God, to help a person like Jenny, Lord, who was raised in a traditional church, to know that salvation is more than accepting Christ, and is Christ accepting us with the sign of the Spirit coming into us. Lord, today, as we celebrate your resurrection, I pray, Lord, that this would be resurrection day for some precious people in this room right now. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Your first step to God is always repentance. Repentance is a change of mind away from sin and toward God. And I have learned from the Bible and by experience in working with hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands of people, that while sin is always complicated, salvation is always simple. See, right now there's all this, well, how, what about this and how's that going to work out and what am I going to do? You can get so confused and knotted up and it, how is this going to work out? And God doesn't have a lot of answers for broken rules. He just tells you, if you will repent of your sins, if you will turn from your sins, asking God to forgive you. It is like the shortest distance between two points. When you ask God to forgive you and you really mean it and you turn from sin, it's like it gives God permission. Your will is open to God's will and all the power that you need to break free comes with that trigger of repentance asking God to forgive you of your sins. So we're going to pray like that, everybody in the room. Whether you think you're the finest saint in the house or the biggest sinner in the city, we're all going to repent. And we're going to ask God to forgive us. And I want you to pray out loud. You don't have to pray loud. You can. You can pray loud at this church. But I want you to just pray out loud and say it to the Lord. And if you can think of things that you know have been wrong, go ahead and confess them to God. But don't hold back and, I mean, this is God you're talking to. You're not talking to me. And if you walk out the door and aren't saved, it's not on me, it's on you. Because I've done my job and preached the truth and Jesus has done His job. He showed up for you by His Spirit. So now it's, it's the ball is in your court. 
It's up to you to say yes to Jesus and ask Him to forgive you of your sins. So everybody in the house, let's lift our voices and pray right now. Lord God, I'm going to pray just like I would when I'm repenting of my sins or like if I was you. Jesus, have mercy on me, God. I don't come, Lord, bragging about anything I've ever done or have or anything I am. I come begging for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, that you love me even when I was a sinner. That's it. Go ahead and pray your own prayer. I thank you, Jesus. And I know, Lord, I can never be good enough to save myself. I can never be saved by intellectual assent, Lord, that this is spiritual and it's an inside work. I ask you, Lord, to heal the brokenhearted today. I pray, Lord, that you would break the chains of captivity of sinful habits. Oh, Lord God, today I confess for every one of us, God, over everything done, Lord, that has displeased you, that has harmed my body, that has worked to destroy my family. It's a lot of people here, Lord, whose families have been broken by divorce. Mistakes made, God. Adultery and fornication, Lord, and all kinds of sins that have happened in this place. There are people here today that have struggled, oh God, with perversion, oh Lord. Well, you've never been afraid of someone, God, who would just cry out to you, have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sins. Go ahead and pray it a while. I'm going to turn off my microphone so you can pray and not listen to me. Why don't you pray right now? Lift your voice and pray all over the house. Lift your voice. I need some people that know how to pray to pray with me right now. You may not be praying for yourself, but pray as you did when you first came to God. That's it. Keep praying. If you're comfortable doing this, pray for the person next to you. Put your hand on their shoulder or take their hand. And why don't you pray with the person next to you now? And I want you to let down the walls that you've built up to God. And you're a guest in a church. Maybe you've never been here before, but it's kind of like going to the emergency room for the first time. You don't really care if you've never been there before. You just need help today. So cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus today. Come on. Don't just keep doing the same thing over and over. Don't keep making the same mistakes over and over. Cry to the Lord today. Ask Him for mercy. Jesus, forgive me. Keep praying. Keep praying with the neighbor next to you, your family member. Ask God to forgive you. That's it. Keep praying. Some of you need to ask the person next to you to forgive you for what you've done to them. And some of you need to forgive the person next to you
for what they've done to you. You need to release today that power of sin through forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now I want you to please just look this way a moment. There's no razzle-dazzle, abracadabra. I want to be very clear what we're going to do. In a moment, we're going to stand and I'm going to invite anyone who really wants to make a move for God to come, just like Larry did that day. We call this our altar area. It's just the front of the church. There's nothing sacred about this place, but there is something to be said about stepping out and saying, God, I'm, gonna, I'm making a decision today to serve you. There won't be room for everybody to get at the front, but you're welcome to join us here. If you choose to stay where you are, that doesn't mean you have to quit praying. You can pray right where you are. But if you need healing in your body, if your family needs help, whatever it is that you need prayer for today, if you want someone to pray for you, I'm going to invite you to just move as close as you can down here to the front where we can pray for you. We'll pray for you for whatever your need is. We believe that God has the power to miraculously help you today. And we're going to pray that in faith. If you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God, you can receive it today. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, guess what? We have a clean baptistry and changing rooms and towels and garments and people ready to explain and baptize you today. This this doesn't have to be a five-month process. If you see that you need to get right with God, why would you walk out the door and hope you have four months or 14 years? You need to do it today on Easter Sunday. Amen. So why don't you stand right now and begin just stepping out from where you are and walking down here. Amen. I want you to just walk out here. Amen. You can bring somebody with you if you'd like. Bring a family member or a friend. Nobody's going to do anything weird. Nobody will violate your will. We just want to pray with you. We're here to help your family and to help you. Amen. Amen. That's right. Just keep coming. That's right, keep coming. Remember, you can still pray where you are. It's not a nothing magic about being here. We can just pray with you better here. Now let's turn this place into a, a place of prayer. Right where you're standing, wherever it is, or where you're seated, lift your voice to the Lord and just begin to talk to God. If you're ready to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you've repented, just lift your hands and begin to worship God. Begin to thank Him for forgiveness. Amen.